Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday evening. It is March 18th, 2022, uh, and it's great joining you. Uh, spring is just around the corner. I think this Sunday will mark the uh, the beginning of spring. Thank goodness. I'm tired of winter. I'm sure many of you are also. Uh, but, you know, Mother Nature could still throw us a curveball. Uh, in spite of so-called climate change, we could still have snow or god knows a blizzard between now and uh, april or whatever but i i'm happy that spring is on the way and i'm happy you're here there's a lot for us to talk about tonight and the lunacy in the ukraine continues with russia but also the lunacy within our own capital in washington dc continues you know there's a question that's always asked if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? Uh, there's a question that I like to ask. If the tree falls in the forest, but no one is willing to report on it, does anybody know that the tree fell? Well, all attention, almost entirely, is focused on Russia and Ukraine, the threat of war, global war, saber-rattling by Putin, the idea of maybe using tactical nukes, God forbid. So many of the stories have been knocked off the front page. So many stories are being blatantly ignored, one of them, of course, being the crisis on the southern border. But even the crisis on the southern border is a fake perspective because the immigration system is a lot more than the U.S.-Mexican border. And for decades, that is the nonsense that has been sold to the American people. Once we secure that southern border, then we can give millions of people lawful status. Wow. Totally incredible, totally mind-boggling that uh, anybody could even think that way. Uh, And by the way, this isn't limited to the Democrats. Uh, I I want everybody to understand that. Uh, Understand that there is a congresswoman from California by the name of Maria Salazar. She's a Republican. A couple of days ago, she was on Tucker Carlson. And what was she advocating? a massive amnesty program for unknown millions of illegal aliens who evaded the inspections process by sneaking into the United States. Her name is Marie Salazar. I believe that she's from the 27th District. If you have friends in Florida, call them up, tell them what this woman is about, how dangerous her proposal is. And I just want to mention this from the outset because I'm tired of everyone saying, well, if we could only elect a bunch of Republicans everything will be fine. Everything won't be fine. It depends on which Republicans. It depends on which politicians. Everybody wants an instant solution, you know, instant coffee. Just drop the powder in the bottom of the cup, add steaming hot water, mix in some sugar and milk, and you've got coffee. These uh, simplistic solutions very often are dangerous and wrong-headed. And I'm going to remind you, it was Ronald Reagan who gave us the visa waiver program. It was Ronald Reagan who gave us the diversity visa that was signed into law by George Herbert Walker Bush. 
It was Ronald Reagan who gave us that massive amnesty in 1986. It was George W. Bush who created the Department of Homeland Surrender, as I've come to call it, tearing immigration into multiple agencies and then mixing them in with non-relevant agencies in violation of the Homeland Security Act, which was the enabling legislation that created DHS in the first place in response to the attacks of 9-11, the terror attacks of 9-11 carried out by aliens who violated multiple sections of the immigration law and gained multiple systems within the immigration system. So he knew better, but he is a globalist. His father was a globalist. Uh, and now we've got Salazar and others doing the same thing. Um, you have Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Down there they call him Gramnesty. He also wants an amnesty program. And, and what are the games they play? Well, these aliens will have to have been here for five years. That sounds great. So here's the question that no one ever asks, including the talking heads on TV. How do you know how long an illegal alien has been in the United States if that alien ran the border when he or she came into the United States? When you run the border, there is no record of entry that is created. There's no magic here. There will be no capacity to interview any of them, period. There will be no capacity to do field investigations, period. There's no magical computer system where you punch in a name and it spits out the person's blood type and eye color and hair color and when they came and where they lived. doesn't work. And many illegal aliens use multiple false identities further complicating the mess. So what are we talking about? Get rid of the five-year requirement. Any alien who's here can get amnesty. That's what she wants because there's no way to prove how long someone's been here. All they have to do is say that I've been here for more than six years. You can have an alien come here next year and claim that he or she has been living here for the past eight years and they will qualify because there will be no way to contradict their claim. There are no resources and no magic machines, okay? Everyone somehow thinks you put, they put their hands in the fingerprint machine and we get reams of data. That's Fantasy Island. And we better deal with facts and reality, not with nonsense and the lies that are being spewed all over the place by people that have been paid off by the globalists, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the various religious organizations, um, even the American Immigration Lawyers Association. I keep making the point that the immigration system is not broken. It is not broken. Remember that. What it is is now a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, and there's no compassion and exploitation. It's not just the illegals. It's the high-tech visas, okay? This is costing Americans their jobs, and it's hammering wages into the ground. It also provides an unlimited supply of foreign tourists. That's why we have the visa waiver program started by Ronald Reagan, a Republican. Also, an unlimited number of foreign students, including students who come from countries that have learned the high-tech field so they could then threaten us like China, programming, engineering, and so forth. And finally, most importantly, the immigration system delivers an unlimited supply of clients for immigration law firms. Bob Goodlatte, when the Republicans were in control of Congress, Bob Goodlatte was the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, He's an immigration lawyer. I had a meeting with him that lasted about 30 minutes. He's all about H-1B visas. And when I questioned him, I said, what about American programmers? My first wife passed away many, many years ago to cancer, terrible tragedy in her 30s, 
was a brilliant programmer. Many of the people that worked with her had similar credentials, Phi Beta Kappa graduate, MBA in computer science. They've lost their jobs to people from India and elsewhere. And I said, why are you doing this? Well, he said, your wife might have been brilliant, but my son is brilliant, and he'd love to have thousands and thousands and thousands of brilliant Indians come to America and work as programmers because he's in the computer industry. He knows a lot about computers. I had no idea about it. But Bob Goodlatte shut off his mouth, and I looked it up. Go look up Bobby Goodlatte. Bobby Goodlatte got his start with Zuckerberg at Facebook. Bobby Goodlatte was thrilled that his father, as chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, which, among other things, oversees immigration, was able to give him exactly what he wanted, more H-1B visas. This is what Bill Gates wanted. Alan Greenspan testified to Chuck Schumer back in, on April 30th, 2009, about comprehensive immigration reform and said that the U.S. government should do exactly what Bill Gates wants. I didn't know we worked for, the, for Bill Gates, but apparently Congress works for Bill Gates. He certainly could throw enough money around, along with Zuckerberg and all the others. And he said that the solution to wage inequality is to make American high-tech workers, people with advanced degrees, compete with foreign workers because they are making far too much money, and we could take care of that problem if we made them compete with foreign workers. We could slice that wage premium they're earning because he referred to American middle-class high-tech workers as the privileged elite and said this has to stop. And the way to stop it, make them compete with foreign workers. You slash their wages, and then you greatly reduce wage inequality between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. This is about the engineered destruction of the middle class. That's what it's about. So here we are with threats coming at us from every direction. Think of Star Trek and imagine Captain Kirk ordering shields down, because that's what this administration has done. We have a wide-open Mexican border. We have wide open everything where immigration is concerned. They want to hire tens of thousands of internal revenue agents and auditors to go after Americans who make mistakes on tax returns. But Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of the Department of Homeland Surrender, has stated without equivocation that if someone lies on an application for U.S. citizenship, this administration will take zero action because once you're an American, we will protect you. Protect you from what? From the crimes you commit? Immigration fraud was identified by the 9-11 Commission, and I remind you, I provided testimony not only to that commission, but to many hearings in the House and Senate. Common knowledge, immigration fraud, visa fraud, were the key methods of entry and embedding for the terrorists, and not just on 9-11, but many other terrorists. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, got U.S. citizenship about a year before he set off a car bomb in Times Square. Fortunately, it didn't go boom, it went fizzle. We were very lucky. The Boston Marathon bombers claimed political asylum and then went back to Russia. Clearly, they lied. One of them was an American citizen. The other was seeking citizenship. They lied on their applications, and they carried out the massacre at the Boston Marathon back in 2013 on Patriot Day. We've seen this again and again and again. But Alejandro Mayorkas, who for the Obama administration headed up citizenship and immigration services, told his people to get to yes. Get to yes. What a menace that is to national security. You know, James Bond had Dr. No, DHS has Dr. Yes. Get to yes. Approve those petitions. And, in fact, back when he worked for the Obama administration, he was investigated by the Office of Inspector General, Internal Affairs, if you will, and it was determined that he was guilty of malfeasance, approving petitions for aliens who were affiliated with companies that may have had ties to terrorism. 
he was warned about this by both the FBI and by Homeland Security Investigations, the division of DHS. He said, really? They might be linked to terrorism? Approve the petitions. And these visas were given out, even after he was warned by the FBI and Homeland Security Investigations that at least some of the applications involved a company that had ties potentially to a terrorist group. And that issue was raised during the confirmation hearings by the Republicans, and the Democrats said, we don't care. Approve them. So now he is the guy that runs the entire agency of Homeland Security. Apparently, he's not just whistling Dixie. I just wrote an article, and I hope after the program, if you haven't already read it, that you will go and read my article over at U.S. Incorporated, USINC.org. The title of my article is DHS, a no-show on Afghan visa fraud. Now, one of the things that I do is I will go to the Homeland Security websites, the DOJ websites. I call it dumpster diving because mostly what you see with this administration is crap. I'm going to be blunt about it. It's unmitigated crap. There was a news release that was just uh, released, uh, oh, gosh, a couple of days ago, and the title, U.S. Navy Reserve Officer Appeared on Charges of Alleged Bribery and Visa Fraud. Okay? Now, visa fraud is a crime that is generally pursued by immigration law enforcement. I know I did the job. Nexus between immigration fraud and visa fraud and terrorism are well established. And in point of fact, the very first time that I was requested and I testified before a congressional hearing was way back on May 20th, 1997, four and a half years before 9-11, before the attacks of September 11th. And the topic of the hearing was immigration fraud and visa fraud. And the predications for the hearing were two terrorist attacks in 1993. First, in January 1993, Kansi, a Pakistani national who had applied for political asylum, had bought into a courier van service, which meant that he had access to deliver packages all over the place. And they even got certification so he could bring that van that he drove, the courier van, into the parking lot of the CIA in Virginia. January 93, he pulls into the parking lot early in the morning as CIA officers were reporting for duty, jumps out of the van, not with packages, but an AK-47, opened fire, killed two CIA officers, wounded several others, and fled the country. But because of the nature of the crime, our guys tracked him down, brought him back. He was put on trial. He was found guilty and executed, but it didn't bring back the dead, and it didn't heal the wounds of those that were wounded. One month later, we had the bombing at the World Trade Center, six dead. Over a 1,000 injured, more than a half billion, with a B, half billion dollars in damages inflicted on what had been the centerpiece of the lower Manhattan skyline, they almost succeeded in bringing the towers down. And the terrorists openly boasted that they were planning to bring down the towers sideways because they wanted to kill 250,000 people. 250,000. This wasn't a firecracker. This wasn't graffiti. This was a serious attempt to bring the towers down. Each of the aliens involved, and they were all aliens from the Middle East, committed one form of immigration crime or another, mostly fraud, lying about their identities, lying about their countries of citizenship, lying about political asylum, lying about everything. And they were able to carry out an attack that, but for dumb luck, did not 
succeed in bringing the towers down sideways. And I don't even want to imagine what the casualty count would have been. But it took until 97 for that hearing where I was asked to participate that looked at immigration fraud and visa fraud because of those attacks. And they were trying to figure out what we can do to make sure it doesn't happen again. And the Clinton administration did precious little, and we wind up with 9-11. And even after that, George W. Bush, see, it's both parties, didn't have the stomach to say, look, we've got to hire immigration agents. You have to hire immigration agents. We have to get serious about immigration. We have to end the visa waiver program. We have to get serious about people that lie on these applications. Didn't do it. And, in fact, John Hostetler, the Republican chairman, of the House Immigration Subcommittee, and I testified for John a bunch of times at one particular hearing where I was one of the witnesses, said that the way DHS was put together by the Bush administration gave us immigration incoherence, making it impossible to secure the borders, making it impossible to enforce the immigration laws, and therefore making it impossible to protect America and Americans. A Republican speaking out against the Republican president didn't take long before they defunded his campaign. I campaigned for John Hostetler in Indiana. Sadly, he lost his bids for re-election, and the rest, as they say, is history. So now here we have this case, and according to the press release, let me, let me read part of the press release to you. It's not that long, and it lays out the case. A Florida man who served as commander in the United States Navy Reserves appeared today on criminal charges related to an alleged bribery scheme involving special visas for Afghan nationals. The special visas were given to those Afghanis who helped our government and because of it were at risk because now the terrorists want to kill them. So he, he was giving out these letters for visas. According to the court documents, Jeremy Pittman, 53, of Pensacola, Florida, currently residing in Naples, Italy, was paid to draft, submit, or falsely verify false letters of recommendation to citizens of Afghanistan who applied to the United States Department of State for special immigrant visas, or SIVs. There is a limited, uh, a limited supply of SIVs this year for Afghan nationals employed as translators for the U.S. military personnel. Pittman is alleged to have signed over 20 false letters in which he represented, among other things, that he had supervised the applicants while they worked as translators in support of the U.S. Army and NATO, that the applicants' lives were in jeopardy because the Taliban considered them to be traitors, and that he did not think the applicants posed a threat to the national security of the United States. In exchange, Pittman is alleged to have received thousands of dollars in bribes. Pittman made his initial appearance today. He is charged with accepting bribes and conspiring to commit visa fraud. If convicted of both counts, he faces up to 20 years in prison. A federal district court judge will determine any sentence after considering the U.S. sentencing guidelines and other statutory factors. Now, this is really where it gets interesting, too. Assistant Attorney General Kenneth A. Politi, Jr. of the Justice Department's Criminal Division, U.S. Attorney John J. Farley for the District of New Hampshire, Inspector General John F. Sopko of the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, or SIGAR, S-I-G-A-R, Special Agent in Charge Eric Maddox of the Economic Crimes Field Office of the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, or NCIS, and Special Agent in Charge Stanley A. Newell of the Transnational Operations Field Office of the Defense Criminal Investigative Service, DCIS, made the announcement. SIGAR, NCIS, and DCIS are investigating the case. Hold it right there. 
three agencies that have no background and no relevance to immigration law enforcement are running an investigation into an individual who is accused of conspiring to provide visas for aliens who were not supposed to get the visas. This is the kind of case that fits exactly into the guidelines of what we do. I say we, once an agent, always an agent. What ICE does, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, nowhere to be found. DHS, nowhere to be found, bringing us back to what Alejandro Mayorkas has said. You commit fraud and we will protect you. Can you imagine the conversation? They called up Mayorkas. We've got a Naval Reserve officer accused of visa fraud. Can you help us? No. Why not? Because we don't care when people lie on visa applications. Is that how it happened? I don't know. I wasn't there. But I, loved, I would love to have been a fly on the wall, that proverbial fly on the wall. How in the world is immigration not involved with an investigation? Why isn't State Department involved? They have an investigative service. They're not involved. The military is investigating immigration fraud. By the way, they said that the guy was guilty of bribery and conspiracy. They left out the actual criminal charge of visa fraud. Maybe they didn't know it exists. Title 18, United States Code, 1546. Why don't they go look it up? And where do they get two counts? Each individual, and there were at least 20 according to the press release, can be prosecuted as an individual crime. So it's 20 times whatever. It's also lying on an official affidavit, which is 18 U.S.C. 1001, as well as 1546. So I'm looking at a minimum of four separate crimes times 20. But that's not what the press release said. He's looking at 20 years in jail. One count of, of bribery, one count of conspiracy. What happened to visa fraud? What happened to false statements? Missing in action. What happened to DHS? Missing in action. What happened to our national security? Missing in action. I sound rev, forgive me. I'm pissed. I'm pissed. I can't tell you how many times I've driven down to Washington, not only to testify before hearings, but to have meetings with members of Congress and their staffers. I, I swear, when I got on the Jersey Turnpike, my car automatically steers itself to D.C. I did everything I could, along with so many other people, to try to prevent the next terrorist attack. And this administration is doing everything possible to leave us vulnerable to the next terrorist attack. There's just no other way of saying it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I lived through 9-11. My neighbors died, and the ashes from that conflagration landed on me, my family, and my house. You almost get the sense that Joe Biden and company want the MVP from ISIS and Al-Qaeda and the way that we left Afghanistan. I ain't just whistling Dixie, ladies and gentlemen. It was shameful. 5,000 terrorists turned loose. Tens of billions of dollars in the latest weaponry handed over to the terrorists. And now this? Whose side are they on? Whose side are they on? I want an answer to that question. You should demand an answer to that question. Let me start out by reading to you the preface of a very important report. It's a 9-11 staff report on terrorist travel. This is an official report. This wasn't published by the Daily Inquirer. Not that I'm trying to defame a newspaper. 
but this was an official report prepared by the attorneys and federal agents who were assigned to the 9-11 Commission. And as much as the 9-11 Commission dug into immigration issues, they decided we need to do more because this was really the heart of the matter. It was immigration that failed, and John Hostetler was abundantly clear. He said it was immigration that failed, nothing else as much as immigration. And Bush did nothing to beef up immigration, did everything he could to impede immigration, even violated the Homeland Security Act when he created DHS, which is outrageous. So let me read to you the preface of the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. This is where they lay out why they did the report in the first place. It's enlightening. Trust me. This is the beginning of that report, the preface. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they are unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the United States government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons that we discuss in the following pages that it must be made one. Now, understand this point. They didn't just say the Mexican border. They didn't even mention the Mexican border. They're talking about visas. With all the talk about the Mexican border, do you not realize that the visa process is as much a part of border security as a wall on our borders? A visa enables an alien to legally enter the country through a port of entry. It makes it go away. They can live in the United States. They can get jobs. They can get driver's licenses. Well, most of the states are giving out driver's licenses to illegal aliens now. Think of that madness. We have barriers up to prevent truck bombs and car bombs from getting close to buildings, but we do nothing to stop the people behind the wheel. And if you don't live in a state that gives out driver's licenses to illegal aliens, don't sleep tonight. Because any alien from any country with a driver's license from any state can come to your state, rent a car, and carry out an attack. The New York driver's license is, is acceptable all across the country. The California driver's license is acceptable all across the country. A Pennsylvania driver's license, a New Jersey driver's license, in Illinois, you get the point. All you need is one state to give licenses to people who pose a threat, and those aliens could move anywhere in the country, rent vehicles, and carry out an attack. Whose side are these politicians on? Let me continue on with this. Congress gave the commission the mandate to study, evaluate, and report on immigration, non-immigrant visas, and border security as these areas relate to the events of 9-11. The staff report represents 14 months of such research. It's based on thousands of pages of documents that we reviewed from the State Department, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Central Intelligence Agency, the Department of Defense, approximately 25 briefings on various border security topics and more than 200 interviews. We are grateful to all who assisted and supported us along the way, and I was one of those 200. The story begins, again, reading from this report, from the preface, the story begins with a factual overview of the September 11 border story. It's all about our borders. It's all about America's borders. It's all about immigration fraud and visa fraud. 
and the director of Homeland Security says he doesn't care about fraud. What do you have to do to get fired? A police officer in the heat of the moment fires around and kills someone. That police officer gets prosecuted, loses his or her job, his or her freedom, his or her pension. They're held accountable. How in the world do we have 100,000 people die of drug overdoses every damn year in this country because of a wide-open border, and nothing happens to the people who opened the border and facilitated the flood of criminals and narcotics into the United States of America that's killing Americans every single day? Not one, not two, but 100,000 last year, and that doesn't include the gangbangers who shoot people, the people who get high and crash their cars or the people who need a fix and commit a violent crime to get the money to buy the drugs. The list goes on. What do we have? A million deaths a year, two million deaths. It's unbelievable. We're watching what's happening in Ukraine, and it's unbearable. Uh, On a personal note, my ancestry is Eastern Europe. My mother came here from Poland. I lost her to cancer when she was quite young. I was 21 when she died. But to her dying day, She frequently woke up in the middle of the night crying hysterically because she had to kiss her mother goodbye when she was 13. Her mother couldn't get out of Poland. My mother was able to get out. And when I see the train stations, when I see all of that, it makes me think back to my mother. It makes me think back to the sufferings throughout history because of tyrants and lunatics and violent uh, individuals, sociopaths. But we're ignoring the carnage within our own borders, folks. We're ignoring the carnage, and it's not even a consideration because everyone is fixated on the latest shiny object, which isn't so shiny. It's the massacre of the Ukrainians in Ukraine by Russia. But dead is dead. Dead is dead. What I just read to you came from a report that was written specifically to help America formulate policies to protect us against future attacks. I want to know what the Biden administration is doing that is consistent with the warnings of that goddamn report. That's what I want to know, and that's what you should want to know. Why are they acting 180 degrees in opposition to what the 9-11 Commission warned about with crystal clarity? Crystal clarity. There was no equivocation. There's no fog here. Fraud is the issue. I wrote an art- a major article for the social contract, which is published by the same folks who publish U.S. Incorporated, and I called it immigration fraud, the lies that kill. And you have Homeland Security saying we're not going to be bothered. They did not want to apparently participate in an investigation into these Afghanis who got the letters. By the way, here's some questions that weren't answered or asked in that press release. Number one, How far along in the process did those aliens go? Are they actually in the United States right now? Where the hell are they? Do we know? Does the government know? Does the government care? Apparently they could care less. So we don't know where they are. Now the next question, maybe this is why Homeland Security didn't want to get involved, because their focus would be to dismantle smuggling rings. In fact, that was one of the issues that I raised with Sheila Jackson Lee. Believe it or not, I actually did two hearings as her witness. She invited me, along with Jim Sensenbrenner, the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. There was going to be a hearing on alien smuggling, and I said to Sheila that they need to also look at visa fraud, not just the Mexican border. 
So they held a hearing, and they changed the title and the focus of the hearing, and it was pushing out the borders on alien smuggling, pushing out the borders, because when you have a properly administered visa requirement, we move the border of the United States to the embassies and consulates where the visas are issued. When you put a fence around your house, you don't put the fence against the wall of the building. You put it at the furthest extremity of the property on which the house is built. A properly administered visa requirement moves the that visa requirement, the border, if you will, out to the embassies and consulates overseas. That's why I was so upset that Ronald Reagan gave us the visa waiver program. No visa. By the way, if you commit fraud to get a visa, you're looking at 10 years in jail. If it's to commit crime, it's 15 years. If the crime involves drugs, it's 20 years. If you apply for a visa fraudulently, in support of terrorism, that's a 25-year felony. Apparently, these people in the military who are doing the investigation are clueless because they never raised that issue when they talked about, oh, the guy's looking at 20 years in jail. The guy could be looking at the rest of his life in jail if that's the case. Now, they said that he said that he didn't believe that they they posed a threat. Where's the government's position to say whether or not the aliens in question posed a threat? How much money? They said thousands of dollars. Was it 2000 Was it 50000 Was it 100000 Who paid him? Did each alien pay him individually for the letter if the allegations turned to be true? Was there an organization that went to him and said, here's a check for $100,000. we got 20 people. We want you to get, give them these letters. That's a very different story. Because maybe there was a terrorist group that paid him. Maybe not. Maybe it was the government who paid him. Maybe not. So many questions, no answers, and the people conducting the investigation are clueless. I guarantee you, if you look at their resumes, unless they came to their current jobs from an immigration-related job, they're clueless. They're flying blind in a storm. That's why they don't even know what the crimes are that that this guy is alleged to have committed. They are clueless, and DHS is doing nothing to enlighten them doing nothing to facilitate the investigation. How much worse than this does it get? I've written about how Russia would probably love to send saboteurs here if they haven't done it already. I've spoken and written about Iran sending sleeper agents to the United States. We've seen Afghanis come here involved with with terrorism. This isn't new. This isn't novel. This isn't conjecture. And in many cases, the aliens involved were told, get your citizenship straightened out with the United States so you can get a U.S. passport. And once you have the U.S. passport, you have two passports in hand, and that facilitates your travel around the world. When our guys raided the bin Laden compound, believe it or not, among the documents they found, one was a copy of the 9-11 Commission report. The other thing they found was an application for United States citizenship. Bin Laden understood the significance of U.S. citizenship but Mayorkas apparently doesn't, or maybe he does, and, and is he hoping for an attack? I don't know. I'm trying to understand the thought process. I'm trying to understand the thought process. It does not compute. So we don't know who provided the money. We don't know who the aliens are. We don't know where the aliens are. And Homeland Security can't be bothered. Now, I did see where Homeland Security was involved in a human trafficking case, multi-agency, and I said, oh, well, maybe they're mending their ways. So I read the press release. Guess what? 
it's about young women that were being trafficked within the United States um, for sex purposes. It's a heinous crime. Anybody that does it should spend the rest of their lives in jail, as far as I'm concerned, and maybe they should be surgically altered. I don't care. But my goodness gracious, there are so many agencies that could conduct those investigations. Why are you taking the limited number of agents we have at Homeland Security that should be investigating immigration offenses and keeping them busy with things that have nothing to do with immigration? The police can do those cases. Um, the FBI, there's no shortage. But this is busy work, so it looks good. Oh, they're going after human trafficking. And the average Joe looks at that and they said, see that? They are going after alien smuggling. No, that's because they refer to both situations as human trafficking, whether they're smuggling aliens into the United States or they're moving young women around the country for purposes of sex. They call it human trafficking. Ah, George Orwell, the use of language, right? Words matter, ladies and gentlemen. And no one's being made accountable. No one is being made accountable, even as people are dying on a daily basis. I'm having a real problem reconciling all of this with what I know, having been an immigration employee for 30 years, having spent 26 years as a special agent, having been an adjudicator. I adjudicated applications for, for, for green cards. So I know how the process works from within. Most of the talking heads on TV are clueless. They, they, they have their talking points, and they run their mouths, and they blather on. They're clueless. Oh, well, they've been living here for five years. What's wrong with that? Well, how do you know how long they've been living here? Oops. Oops. Because no one stops to ask, how do you determine how long they've been living here? Minor question, right? Wrong. It's amazing. Going back to that preface, it says this. The story begins with a factual overview of September 11th border story. This introduction summarizes many of the key facts of the hijackers' entry into the United States. And it goes on. So what we're talking is that these aliens first had to come here to attack us, and many of them used visas, and many of them lied, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just blows my mind. Uh, and then they said that in it we endeavored to dispel the myth that every entry into the United States was clean and legal. It was not. Three hijackers contained passports with indicators of extremism linked to al-Qaeda. Two others carried passports manipulated in a fraudulent manner. It is likely that several more hijackers carried passports with similar fraudulent manipulation. Two hijackers lied on their visa applications. There we go, folks. Once in the United States, two hijackers violated the terms of their visas. One overstayed his visa, and all but one obtained some form of state identification. We know that six of the hijackers used these state-issued identifications to check in for their flights on September 11th. Three of them were fraudulently obtained. And then page 46 of the report says about the World Trade Center bombing, February 93. Three terrorists who were involved with the first World Trade Center bombing reportedly traveled on Saudi passports, containing an indicator of possible terrorist affiliation. Three of the 9-11 hijackers also had passports containing the same possible indicator of terrorist affiliation. In addition, Ramzi Yusuf, the mastermind of the attack, and Ahmed Ajaj, who was able to direct aspects of the attack despite being in prison for using an altered passport, traveled under aliases using fraudulent documents. But we're not going to be concerned about fraud here, folks. What more did the 9-11 Commission have to say to our government?
Let me read another section worth looking at. Once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. Here we go again. For example, Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Mahmoud Abu Alima, involved in both the World Trade Center and Landmarks Plus, received temporary residence under the seasonal agriculture worker program after falsely claiming that he picked beans in Florida. Mohammed Salome, who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa. He then applied for permanent residency under the agricultural worker program, but was rejected. Iyad Mahmoud Ishmael, who drove the van containing the bomb, took English language classes at Wichita State University in Kansas on a student visa, and after he dropped out, he remained in the United States out of status. So we have an illegal alien renting a truck and an illegal alien driving the truck, and we now give driver's licenses to illegal aliens in many states across the country. Wow. Wow. Page 61 says the following, exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there is evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connections to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, human smugglers clearly have the, quote, credentials, unquote, necessary to aid terrorist travel. Final quote that I want you to hear. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status. That's DACA, by the way, folks. DACA, well, New York was the architect of DACA. Okay, think about that. When you think of DACA, think of CACA, all right? So let me, let me read that again so we don't get confused, but I had to interject that point about Mayorkas's link to DACA, okay, deferred action supposed childhood arrivals, how it should be phrased. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. Any ambiguity in what I have been reading to you this evening? Why is DHS missing in action in an investigation involving Afghanis who sought to come to the United States by entering into a criminal conspiracy with, with a Naval Reserve officer when we have no idea about who these people are, whether they're here, or how this, this fraud or scam was, was uncovered, or how many other people might be doing similar scams. How many people are involved actively looking for more such scams? And the answer is, uh, who knows? Who cares? 
until what? Something blows up and then they're going to run around. Do you remember after 9-11 how many of those damn politicians stood in front of the cameras waving their fist and pounding the podium? Why didn't they connect the dots? This evening, we've connected the dots. And you know what? The Biden administration not only doesn't care, but seems to be determined to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction from the warnings of the 9-11 Commission. Wow. I hold the highest position in our government, and so do you folks, the highest position, citizen. We should be demanding answers from our insubordinate employees, the politicians. What do you think of that? It's unbelievable. By the way, there was a report written by Bob Woodward, and they, when, when the Bin Laden's compound was raided, here's a significant paragraph from the Woodward report. He, meaning Bin Laden, also appeared to have maintained a key interest in what the United States government thought of al-Qaeda. A copy of the 9-11 Commission report was found in the compound in Abbottabad, as were three reports in al-Qaeda by the Congressional Research Service. There was also an application for American citizenship, and then in parenthesis, no word on whether it was filled out. In the world are we doing, and why are we doing this? How in the world can you have an ongoing criminal investigation and prosecution involving visa fraud, and the Department of Homeland Surrender is missing in action? Not even mentioned. Not even dishonorable mention. You heard of honorable mention? Not even dishonorable mention. Think how that handicaps the investigation. The obvious problem is that if you did some digging, you might find more people that, that did the same sort of thing. And it's clear that the Biden administration's objective is to take down our borders and turn America into a come one, come all country, which obviously won't work. But that's how you destroy a nation. And this isn't xenophobia, folks. This isn't xenophobia. You lock your door at night, not because you're antisocial, but because you're prudent and don't want to die before sunrise. Would that our government have that consideration for we the people? I, I don't even know what to say. I, I, I am absolutely beyond words at this point, and, and those who know me know that that's an unusual situation for me. Now, I don't know how many of you may have seen um, Fox News yesterday reporting on a, on a near riot on the Yale Law School campus. Um, there was an event sponsored by the Federalist Society, and, and I will tell you that about 10 or 12 years ago, somewhere around there, I've done so many of these events around the country. The Federalist Society invited me to participate in a debate at Yale Law School. Now, if you're not familiar with my background, although I started as an engineering major, I wound up with a degree in communications arts and sciences. I call it my BA and BS. I was going to teach debate on the college level. I started debating when I was in high school, my first year of high school. Uh, debate is intellectual capitalism. Think about it. You go into a debate with a particular perspective and other people bring their perspective and then the consumers, that is to say the audience and the judges, decide which they want to buy. That's capitalism. That's freedom. It's the First Amendment. It's a celebration of the First Amendment. Growing up, 
you've always heard people say things like two heads work better than one. Why two heads? What does that mean? You're supposed to have an extra head growing in between your shoulders? Of course not. Because when one or more people get together, each one brings a different perspective to the discussion. And when you add everyone's experiences and perspectives and expertise, you can come up with a better product, with a better solution. Because there isn't one way. There isn't one way. When you shut down freedom of speech, you're being told what to think, how to think about it, and God help you if you don't. When people know that they're peddling an inferior product or an inferior idea, that's what they want to do. They know that their product, that their ideas, can't hold up to scrutiny or question. When you're peddling garbage and manure, you want to shut down debate because you know no one's going to buy what you're peddling because the other person has a much better product or a much better idea. People who are confident welcome the challenges and welcome the questions because when we're confident, we know that we can answer the questions and convince the people asking the questions that what we're doing is the best way to do it. I'm happy to be exposed to challenge. I always tell people, when I say something to you, if you don't like it, do your homework. Come back and let me know what you find. Because I'm confident that I'm doing my level best. Now, it may not be the best, but my level best to come up with the best ideas. But nobody has all the best ideas, I promise you. So the people that want to shut down debate are people that know that their arguments can't hold water if they are exposed to competition. They don't want competition. That's why they don't want freedom. But when I did that debate at Yale, it was, it was pretty exciting. I walked into the, into the law school, and there was this life-size poster on an easel, and I couldn't believe the ugly mug on that poster. It was me, and it said, Appearing tonight, Michael Cutler, retired INS senior special agent. Boy, it was a kick. If I had had a smartphone, but we didn't back then, I would have taken a picture. I think my parents, may they rest in peace, would have gotten a kick out of seeing that photograph. Fortunately, they were long gone before that day in any event. But you get the point. I was very happy to be there. We did the debate. The Federalist Society took me out to a wonderful dinner afterwards. And that's how debates are supposed to be. It's a celebration of American freedom. Well, here we have a case where it didn't go quite that way a couple of days ago. The law students went nuts. They had a cow, and they screamed at the conservatives and threatened them, threatened them. And when the campus police had a call for the regular police, the law students screamed that bringing police onto the campus endangered their safety. Now, I want you to understand something. If you're a prosecutor, law enforcement is your partner. I work closely with federal prosecutors and state prosecutors. We're on the side of enforcing the laws. The defense attorney defends the defendant, and, and that's how our justice system works. Well, you see what's happening today. Prosecutors sound like defense attorneys, and defense attorneys sound like super defense attorneys, so there's no one there really looking to enforce the law. So never mind whether we're going to defund the police. You can hire another 100,000 cops for New York City. It won't matter. As long as criminals are being turned loose, as long as people are not being made accountable by the prosecutors, you can make all the arrests you want. These people will be back on the street before the cop is done with his or her paperwork. That doesn't deter anybody. 
One of the things that's really upsetting to me is this idea that they want to decriminalize resisting arrest. Now, why is it upsetting? Why are they doing it? You might, without giving it thought, think, well, they resist arrest. What's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. If you look at almost all of the people who've lost their lives when interacting with the police, they all have, or almost all have something in common. They all resisted arrest. They all resisted arrest. So when you encourage more people to resist arrest, basically, I think, you're looking to have more tragedies so they could use those tragedies as an excuse to go on a rampage and try to take down our society. And if you think I'm being paranoid, you know, we have a saying in law enforcement, just because you think you're being followed doesn't mean you're not paranoid, doesn't mean you're, no, I'm doing this sideways. Oh, yes, just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean you're not being followed. There we go. Now we got it right. Just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean you're not being followed. So here's something interesting. February 21st, I'm going to be writing about it. I may get to speak about it. I'm going to be on Newsmax TV tomorrow, a little after 2 o'clock in the afternoon, by the way. So, But I'll be talking about Ukraine, not this. Um, Yale Law School announces tuition-free scholarships for the highest-need students. Now, I happen to like the idea of giving kids who are qualified and motivated a free education to break the cycle of poverty, chemists, engineers, programmers, in this case, lawyers. But Yale Law School is not being altruistic because we come to the final paragraph, and this is the dean of the law school making the statement. I want you to realize what we're talking about. This is her statement, not mine. This is the final paragraph. At Yale Law School, we prepare lawyers and leaders to face the most critical challenges of the future and affect change across every sector of society, said Gherkin, Gherkin being the dean. We are committed to ensuring every student can fully immerse themselves in our vibrant intellectual experience and has the tools and resources they need to leave their mark on the world. Wow. The Hearst Horizon Scholarship Program cements our commitment to access and not equality, but equity for all. The ACLU uses a term for the notion of using lawyers to achieve political results. They call it lawfare, kind of like warfare, but with lawyers, not soldiers. That's what this program apparently is about. At Yale Law School, we prepare our lawyers and leaders to face the most critical challenges of the future and affect change across every sector of society. We will sue you to death, come at you with lawyers, and we will bury you with lawyers. I'm all for making ours a more perfect union. So were the founding fathers. America certainly isn't always getting it right, just as people don't always get it right. But what we are witnessing today is the carnage on the streets, the release of criminals, critical race theory. And I've written about it the front page magazine. Please go back and check my articles. This is not protecting anybody. And kids that get, get involved with drugs and gangs do not have a bright future. In fact, they don't have much of a future at all. Many of these children die before they get out of their teens or out of their 20s. It's a tragedy all the way around. 
And no one is looking at the societal ways of fixing some of these problems. Turning criminals loose is going to cause more carnage. Encouraging people to resist arrest is going to cause more carnage. Leaving our borders wide open exposes us to terrorism, to dangerous diseases. If you look at Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, it enumerates the categories of aliens who are to be kept out of the country. This has nothing whatsoever to do with race or religion or ethnicity. If it did, I couldn't have enforced those laws for, 10, for, for 30 seconds, let alone 30 years. It's aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, think COVID, aliens who are mentally ill, who are criminals, terrorists, spies, human rights violators, war criminals, human traffickers, drug smugglers, and then we get to aliens who would become a public charge, or if they work, place American workers and drive down wages, irrespective of race, religion, or ethnicity. What is wrong with that? What is wrong with that? My father taught me that I would teach people how they should treat me by demonstrating what I am willing to accept. It's time that we sat down with our neighbors, get past the personalities. That's nonsense. That's a distraction. And simply talk about our dreams, not only for ourselves, but for our children and for our children's children. We all want our children to do better than we did. My parents came, my mother came to America. My dad was born here, but his family came from Eastern Europe as well. My father had an eighth grade education, but he was a tradesman. And to me, tradesmen, wow, they're the salt of the earth. They are the rock bottom foundation of America. Without tradesmen, there'd be no buildings or cars or trains or airplanes or roads. We'd be living in the forest in caves or under trees. There's a difference between being smart and being educated. I've met my share, and I'm sure you have too, of some of the dopiest PhDs in creation. My parents had good common sense, great morals. Um, I stand on their shoulders every day. My mother had a fourth grade education. Came here as a 13-year-old, lived by herself in a rooming house, and supported herself by working in a sweatshop at the age of 13, making umbrellas for $3 a week. I don't think she had too much white privilege, and, and being Jewish can be pretty dicey because anti-Semitism is a problem because people throughout history have been stupid and bigoted, and bigotry kills. And simply replacing one brand of racism for another, which I believe is a critical race theory, does, doesn't solve problems, but it creates problems. I wrote about how we need critical thinking, not critical race theory. Hope you read it. That's on Front Page magazine. And share this material with as many people as you can. I want all of you to be part of my bucket brigade of truth. The facts, common sense, morality, and the laws are all on our side. Please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, have those conversations. The weather's getting warm. There'll hopefully be some barbecues and ball games. Have those conversations. Let's celebrate the First Amendment. And, and, and let's really remember that the government is supposed to work for us, not the other way around. Hope you all have a great weekend. Don't forget to read my article over at usinc.org. And I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long, everybody.